Hello, everyone. This is Myra with Holly Foley's Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga podcast. It's been a sweet month for us with an immersion in India, exploring and enhancing the masculine and feminine aspects in us. We also attended a yagya, which is a cleansing fire ceremony, and it lasted for five days. This yagya was focused on cleansing and rejuvenating the five senses, as well as the atmosphere around us. It was a gathering of Agnihotra practitioners from all over the world. Agnihotra is a simple yagya or fire ceremony that's done daily at sunrise and sunset, and it helps to align us with the rhythms of nature. I love it. I've been doing it now for 12 years. You can get more information on our website at halepule.com or at agnihotra.org. The peaceful release that comes with the practice of Agnihotra brings me to today's topic of ahimsa. So the word himsa in Sanskrit, without the A, means violence, violence toward others and ourselves. In Sanskrit, when the word has the A at the beginning, it makes it opposite. So himsa toward others is fairly obvious. Harming others physically, mentally, or emotionally not only harms them, but brings negative karma to us and to the world. We will have negative consequences as a result. But what about how we treat animals and plants and the earth? We as individuals and as a society have consequences from that as well. Everything that we think and do matters. It all has a result or or consequences. Then what about ourselves? We harm ourselves when we overindulge in food or activities or we knowingly eat and do things that are harmful to us. We also bring harm to ourselves and others with a lack of self-awareness. We do and say things that are harmful sometimes without knowing it in the moment. And that's one of the reasons for the practices of Ayurveda and yoga. When they're employed in every aspect of our lives, in a holistic, conscious, sattvic manner, and on a regular basis and over a period of time, we increase our self-awareness and our understanding. And then we're able to practice ahimsa. And as a result, we can make better choices. In Sanskrit, this is called vivek. It means discernment. Discernment is different from judgment, which is about assessing the rightness and wrongness of things from your limited point of view. Discernment is the ability to make your own healthy choices. And in my experience, the practice of discernment comes a lot easier when I consider the yamas and niyamas, or these ethics of living that come from yoga. And that includes ahimsa, the first of the yamas. When I started practicing yoga asana, I thought I needed to push myself because that was the way I knew how to do things. But I found out that that wasn't going to get me what I wanted. But what did I want? What was my motive for practicing asana? Well, at first, I thought I wanted to feel better physically and manage my weight. It worked for a while, until I kept pushing myself physically to a point of rattling my nervous system with doing poses that I wasn't ready for. 
Can you relate to that? Uh, twisting or bending or forcing yourself into, into your idea of a shape or what that pose should be. Maybe a picture or a person that you've seen, or maybe it's the teacher standing in front of you. As we recognize in Ayurveda and yoga, we are each a unique constitution and there isn't just one point to get to in a pose. There's always progression and each step of the way is beneficial to us and to no one else. So with the support of an experienced conscious teacher, I not only learned that just because I could force my body to do it didn't mean I should. And the point is, to let the expression of a pose unfold from the inside and that the body will release and open up when it's ready. That readiness has everything to do with unclenching your mind. That understanding opened everything up for me. I came to see that there was so much more to all of it than I realized. And I was intrigued. As I continued to practice from this new vantage point as much as possible, it was certainly a process. I realized I wanted to be more spiritually connected too because I liked what I saw in the teachers I was around. It wasn't that I wanted to be just like them, but they had an inner glow that I could see had the depth of life in it. They were connected to a deeper part of themselves. How could I get there? At first, I thought that there was something about me I needed to fix, like there were some worn parts in my engine that needed to be replaced before I could really allow that spiritual energy to flow through me. But then I learned that there was nothing to fix in me. And that's really what I think healing is, reminding yourself that you're not broken and just allowing the flow of life. The greatest realization for me was that This was all about the process of life. How I lived my life from moment to moment was what mattered. Freedom from the garbage in my mind was what I really wanted. Freedom in this life. Now that was really something for me. The notion that this came from my attitude and beliefs was astounding to me. I totally believed that my life was a result of my circumstances and not the other way around. The external environment is certainly a factor in our lives, but the internal environment is where the creating takes place, and that's the one we have total control over. Boy, when I came to realize that, that turned my whole world around. External circumstances are simply physical manifestations of the inner landscape. It was not until this point where I became honest with myself about how I treated myself inside, that I realized the possibility of true ahimsa. About 15 years ago, just just after my father's passing, I was running from feelings inside about my relationship with my family. I had a lot of fears about it, and I was trying my best to deny their existence. Actually, I was completely oblivious to it. And this inner discord came to the surface in the form of leukemia. Many people feel like leukemia is caused by environmental toxins, and I certainly had some exposure to some of those toxins early in my life. However, the timing of the illness and disease was not a result of external toxins. It was my suppression of those feelings. 
Once I realized the level of fear I was living in, I changed the belief that others, including my family, could hurt me. I realized that just because they didn't like me or didn't like what I do in life didn't mean that I would be hurt, but some part of me believed it. Then I had a choice of how to respond in life, and I shifted my point of view. A big shift in my approach was to really focus on taking care of the little girl in me. Acknowledging the inner child that was in fear allowed my body to reverse the disease process and heal. I had external support from a practitioner in the process and a few people I was close with. And since I was dealing with my own fears, I chose not to talk about it with many others until I was at a point of confident wellness that I chose for myself. That way I wasn't dealing with others' fears around me. And this approach worked well for me. There was a big shift in my internal attitude moving past my mind and allowing my connection with the divine to truly be the guiding light in my life, it elevated my health to a new level that has only continued to improve. And it's worth noting that at first, I had some self-judgment for allowing myself to become sick. And isn't that an acute form of himsa? To be sick and to be upset at yourself for letting it happen? It was great that this subtle form of violence was pointed out to me as useless and ego-feeding. It's with the practices and study of yoga and Ayurveda that I could see this and make a shift in how I carried my energy. And the shift in attitude was a shift away from himsa to ahimsa. It took some ego surrendering on my part. I saw and experienced firsthand how my body was just responding to how I was running my energy and whether or not I was allowing prana, my energy, to flow in my body. Today, this point of view allows me to have a broader view in my work with clients. We are multidimensional beings, but at the core, our being is very simple. Our well-being fundamentally depends on how we are allowing our energy to flow or not. Now that we have a little more idea of himsa as it relates to ourselves, let's look at ahimsa and what it truly means. How can we actually practice ahimsa? We define it often as nonviolence, but that doesn't tell us how and what to do, and it might not be as obvious as it seems. Ahimsa, we could say, means kindness, consideration, and respect for ourselves and others. How do we show that? Well, the practice of being kind no matter what is a good place to start. When the person in the post office is rude or someone cuts in front of you on the road or takes the seat that you are heading for on the train, well, a smile and graciously carrying on would be ahimsa. Ahimsa means we need to practice non-attachment to our ways how we think others should behave or respond, as well as non-attachment to our stuff. My strong reaction to someone else's reaction can be filled with violence in my thoughts, or I can choose an attitude of acceptance and remain open and interested in exploring what comes next. 
So what Ahimsa really asks us to do is to step out of fear and into faith as quickly as possible. I was recently hosting an immersion in India and a student asked, is it better that I feel right or that I feel happy? She said, because I sort of feel happy when I'm right. Why would I feel that right is so important? Well, it could be seeking victory over someone else, which is our ego covering up our insecurity. It could be just our own self-judgment and the need to feel okay by feeling right. There really isn't much satisfaction in either of those cases. And perhaps we need to just listen to the other person and accept their point of view. It doesn't make us right or wrong necessarily. When we're in non-acceptance, it's a form of violence toward another and myself. So our answer is acceptance, non-attachment, and allowing the space for different points of view in our lives. Now, what about a situation where you observe someone else acting or speaking in a way you feel is violent? It's interesting how easily we want to go outside ourselves and judge others. Each situation is unique and specific, so of course, we each have to decide in the moment. Is this part of my karma or not? Sometimes it isn't, and a deep breath and a prayer for peace and love for all is in order. My becoming angry may actually contribute to the problem because I'm engaging in that same energy and feeding it by my attention to it on that level. Holding a higher vibration may be the best influence. Do I step into someone else's karma? Hmm, This is a big question. When do I take action and when do I not? You know, when deciding to speak or take action of some kind, consider that the answers to these three questions that come to us from yoga. Number one, is it from a place of truth to the best of my knowledge? This is the practice of satya or honesty that I'll be talking about next month as the next step in our journey through the yamas and niyamas. Second question, is it necessary? And third, does it bring sweetness to life in the long term? You know, it may not bring sweetness in the short term. It may be uncomfortable for someone to hear something, but in the long run, it may be very beneficial. If the answer is yes to all three, then speak or take action. If it's not, then it might be best to relax your tongue, keep your mouth closed, and say an internal prayer. I get to practice this often. We feel happy, satisfied, and loving when we're able to respond to life rather than react to it. Reactionary living is based in fear and doesn't bring good things in life. Take a look at the political environment around the world today. Responding rather than reacting means not forming a response before someone is finished speaking, for example. You could actually listen to them. The practice of ahimsa means learning to be a good listener, respectful of others and yourself. Practice listening on the outside to others and on the inside to your higher self. An agreement isn't necessarily required. Acceptance of others and ourselves will bring us ahimsa and peace. 
We all have moments of ahimsa. It's a matter of making it a priority, creating many of those moments and connecting them to each other. We feel good about what we think, what we do, and who we are in the world. Thanks for listening. I'll be in Australia May 16th to June 8th this year for workshops and consultations. I hope to see you there. And as a reminder, we offer trainings, clinical, professional, and personal mentoring, and Ayurvedic health consultations that can guide you along your journey to vibrant living. If you're ready to take the next step, visit hollypule.com. That's H-A-L-E-P-U-L-E.com. Many blessings. In Ayurveda, we understand that we each have a unique constitution. Halipule's tridoshic approach is ideal for families and supports multiple constitutions. You can cultivate sattva in cooking, knowing that you're making meals that support everyone's constitution. Subtle adjustments may be required, but it doesn't need to be a stress point. To learn our tridoshic approach to create nourishing meals, Join simple Ayurvedic cooking with Halepule. The recipes are easy, delicious, and will leave you feeling energized. And the link to join is in our show notes.